I got rights, you got rights. Everybody with a pen uh, probably writes something down. Uh, yep, and, and it all ties together because, I, uh, yes, I, I didn't even think of this before, but some people write shopping lists. So uh, that adds at least one more element to this episode of the Overnight Scape Central. I forgot it was a holiday weekend. And plus, um, the rights, W-R-I-T-E-S topic, uh, somewhat presupposes that someone is going to take that extra time and write things down, uh, perhaps even in a creative way, and then read them, which uh, adds more labor and hence is, if anything, more of a barrier to uh, things coming in necessarily, or who knows. Uh, whatever the case, it's Frank and I and Cesara uh, once again together. Now how this uh, surprise ties together with the shopping list thing, I ought to explain, and it's kind of accidental. It just kind of popped to mind probably because uh, just yesterday we finished production on the uh, flip side of our new hit single, Qualities of a Tolteca Sorcerer 6. And uh, yes, uh, you will be hearing uh, momentarily uh, this new hit single, which of course, like all the familiar Foreign Bodies music, is available completely free of charge at our Bandcamp page. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing when uh, art does that. Just like here at the Overnight Scape Underground, it's all free uh, and there's nobody shaking a can. And yeah, once in a while somebody might suggest something. And that's cool. I mean, that's fair. As people put in hours and hours of work here. And, you know, if, if you it, this is not a commercial venture, nonetheless. And Frank Edward Nora is here. It, he's reliable. That That's for sure. And uh, I hope everyone else is at least listening and enjoys this uh, somewhat abbreviated uh, installment of the Overnight Scape Central. It's kind of a... Yeah, well, this will be fun because you got the music. And uh, then I'm going to read you something, uh, and then we'll hand it over to Frank, and uh, we can all go on and, uh, I don't know, uh, watch cartoons. Anyways, uh, here's that familiar Foreign Bodies track. Mel. Excel. Cereal cornflakes, mistakes, muesli, fusli, spicy tomato sauce, sardines, mackerel, shrapnel. Instant noodles, poodles, 
veg paste what the waste Yeah, I guess writing applies not only to words, but the music was written. And actually, uh, that is still residual music from uh, when Chris O'Rourke and I were still associating. Oh, we've been friends on and off since, what, 1981? So uh, that you know, there have been similar uh, breaks in the action in the past, and uh, that's the way that goes. But, uh, yep, yeah, we are always finding that there is so much stuff in the vaults uh, that hasn't yet found perhaps its final permanent purpose. 
and uh, that's oh man it's it's just the wonders of the art of music because you can always add a little more well writing too uh, you can rewrite stuff that you wrote years ago and you can try to pick up threads of things that you started in the past and yeah rights and it's me oh yeah hey yeah pq river here and uh, i have here uh well recently uh, i appeared on one of uh, my good friends Stephen jules rubens jules works uh super streams of which there's another one coming up this weekend i believe uh, he does these well he was doing these variety shows live before the coof uh, at the Jean Cocteau Theater in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I had participated, he's my writing partner, we've written plays together back, way back in the 90s, uh, and stuff like that. And he continues to uh, associate with lots of artists and creative people. And he, like I say, he did these variety shows. And uh, we Zoomed together uh, on his I think the last one he did, he skipped a month because he moved. And we were discussing the book we'd written together, Chelsea and Clarence. And discussion drifted to the sequel that I started and abandoned. And he said, you know, you ought to find that. That could be interesting. And hence, P.Q. River went and dug and realized that it was in uh, his what the google docs and i had put it in there uh what how many years ago many years ago and even sent a link to jules to share it but uh, there it sat for many many years and uh, it, it's not that small i mean it's smaller than a novel it is a seven thousand word fragment and uh i'm not going to read you the whole thing because that would take forever and several days but i am going to uh give you a taste of how it starts and i'm going to i'm not going to do character characters just maybe some vocal tonalities uh for the characters clarence and chelsea i think they're the only ones we're going to have any well maybe we'll see uh how it rolls but uh this is uh the sneak preview i don't know what'll ever happen with this i mean nothing i mean nobody's making a uh, mini series out of chelsea and clarence as of yet uh there's a small but vocal demand for more chelsea and clarence but i can just send them the link to this i mean i don't need to actually exploit this so let's have some fun here and i'm just uh stalling I was beginning to wonder if you ever came home anymore. Clarence heard his twin sister's voice. His place looked uninhabited, but Chelsea had apparently set up camp in his living room. I haven't seen you in three days. Is this lady friend of yours so fascinating that you can't drop an email or something? I'm sorry, Chelsea. In the moments it all went by, if you're all riled up, Mom must be near psycho. Mom probably took an extra bunch of her little friends and slept just fine. I needed to talk to you. 
Clarence let out a sigh and sat on his living room floor to face his sister Chelsea, who was curled in the beanbag seat in the corner. She looked disheveled, he noticed. Exactly how long have you been sitting here waiting for me? Since yesterday morning. The day before I sat here most of the day. Finally, figured I'd just camp here. You have cable and there was more food here than at my place. Now wait, you wanted to talk to me so bad that you camped out here? It's not like you disappear like this. Fuck, I'm out of cigs. Light me one. He lit two and crept across the floor to Chelsea and handed her one, resuming his sprawl-seated position. The cable still works. I haven't paid them in months, he noted. You don't look so good yourself, Claire. I'm great. I have this wonderful woman who seems to think I'm an incredible person. We spent three magical days together, and then she sent me home. What? You want her to buy you a leash and collar and take you everywhere? No, it's not that. It's that this person has the power over me to make me like this. I haven't been in touch with you in days, and really, had she not had some things to do with one of her girlfriends, you'd still be sitting here. Nice to know I'm so loved. That's just it. I love this woman, this Lisa, to some extreme. She doesn't not call her twin sister or tell her friend she's busy, yet if she called right now, I'd be on my way like a rocket. I didn't think you had it in you. You're worse than that Jules guy. Okay, now that I've completely humiliated myself, what did you want to see me for? I had a guy that was like that with me. Creep me out. He was always sending me flowers and leaving these ridiculous messages on my phone. We men are so very much the weaker sex at times. Pussy wimp chump ass. Come on, now tell me your stuff. You think I want the advice of a pussy whip chump ass? At this, the siblings became quiet for a while. Clarence stared at Chelsea, hoping she would wipe the teasing expression from her face, while his sister contained herself from laughing at her brother's sad plight. Yeah, somehow that seemed like it was longer. Did you ever have time to dilate like that? I thought I had read for, like, just long enough, and that seems kind of short, but uh, uh, that, that'll do. That'll do. In fact, that I stopped is kind of weird, and I don't know what I could have been thinking. I, perhaps, well, that's what I'm used to doing, because I still do reads now and then for the amazing Peter Bernard and his Scary Stories NYC channel, which is the greatest dogman, cryptid, Bigfoot stories that there ever was. And uh, his creativity in the visual presentation, be it animation, montage, uh, it, he's really putting a lot of work and development into these things. And it's, the work shows. And uh, theoretically, uh, he is one of the official uh, videographers of, uh, of me and generally Evelis, but who knows? Who knows? 
uh, because I'm just so many entities when it comes to recording in 2022. As I've mentioned in other venues, I have a, I guess it's the closest thing to my first solo album uh, that there will ever be. Uh, any minute now, any minute now, uh, the goodies galore for your ears because uh, that's what pq river winds up doing uh but all that aside uh that there was some writing and uh maybe i don't know that that perhaps no promises i will read a little bit more uh before we part company but uh let's just roll it along because i do have frank edward norris segment and uh it could be good uh frank's writing his he wrote that circuitous enormous massive collection of pieces uh oh man i forget the name of it now but it's all online it's this long science fiction thing i mean frank is a formidable pensmith and wordsmith um i think he almost avoids it nowadays he's busy with his massive and i mean massive uh video transferal and editing project uh can i can't even imagine if i still had all of my old homemade home recorded videos and suddenly here i was i they're gone they're gone forever for uh unfortunately unfortunately uh like a lot of my material but uh, i both envy him and it's sort of like once you take on a task like that, you're just you're in that task. Uh, but there's a lot of memories in there, and memories you will never. That's the nice thing about living in this technological society. Perhaps that's what we ought to talk about soon, next week or something. But uh, I'll confer with those Anunnaki people. And in the meanwhile, uh, yes, I'm just uh, stoking up the driveline like nobody's business. So I'll hand it over to Frank Edward Nora. Dreams I recall, September 489. Okay. The Fred Mertz dream, for pleasant dreams. The reindeer dream, also for pleasant dreams. The axe murderer dream, with the evil chocolate guy. The vice president of France dream, the being chased by robots up Z-shaped building and jumping off to see the girl who beat me in the election dream. The baby is cat slash baby is honey dispenser dream. The gym lord letting us all drift out to sea in the land of a dream. The Charles Manson was let out of jail, and they thought he was rehabilitated, but he was secretly killing people so I shot him in the forehead, several times. Dream. January 24th, 90. Movie of Janine, and Janine as bus driver. Reft a dream with Janine as goddess jilting me. Dreams I had today, approximately 9am to 9pm. Talking to Eric saw you somehow before I had gotten him fired in San Francisco in some sort of foo bazaar. Also that day got Yasutoshi Yamada fired. Asked Eric if he knew him. I think I got him fired by being annoying and breaking things and stuff. On a highway in New Jersey, we see a big tractor trailer with pink highway signs on it saying California Bridge Closed. We figure it drove from California without taking the signs off. I figured the truck was parked in front of the closed bridge at some point. At work, in office, at Imaging International I go back after a long time, Steve Messner and Doug Bressler played some kind of joke or something on me then Rachel Cooper, the temp, came in and I pulled her aside and told her about what was going on. At Nanny's house, another thing where I have to go back to school, she's tutoring me or something, I tell her we have to talk so we go for a drive. Her driving. I tell her I had a B average in college, and ask her why she has to tutor me. She says she's just trying to help increase my grade or something. We drive onto a highway and it seems it will take a long time to turn around and get home. For some reason, I have to take my clothes off. Somehow, there's a girl in the car who is a head of state. 
though I don't remember seeing her when I got redressed, apparently we got our pants mixed up. The girl was somehow on the driver's side on the other side of Nanny. I had on these faded blue jeans, with two circular belt buckle type things above the waist, at an angle coming in towards the navel, say. Nanny is coincidentally telling me of this girl's two metal circles she wears, I comment that maybe they have some magic power, she says she wouldn't be surprised, but that they're also there for fashion reasons, I think because she didn't wear dresses. The girl apparently had put on my wax encrusted tan corduroys, and we had to switch. Somehow I figured out the date of the occurrence by the fact that the wax pants were there, another allusion to time travel. I'm in a mall. Me and dad are there, and we've been there a few times, and there's this little store that sells food and stuff, and we go down there, and the guy is trying to sell us a box full of rice. The rice is like in lollipop form, like Tipsy Pops, with a white wrapper. I take one out and mess it up, accidentally ripping off part of the wrapper. Some other guy who we know comes up, as dad is deciding whether or not to buy it, and we make jokes about how it's WWII surplus rice and stuff. In a mall by myself, walking on the upper level, coming to a part where there really aren't any stores, and there's a very sharp turn to the left, sharper than 90 degrees and there, after the turn, is like a food place and to its left, an arcade. I go into the arcade. It's near closing time. I go to the back, which seems sort of old with rickety wooden floors and stuff, like an old place at the seashore. I start playing this pinball which I've never seen before. Like other recent dream pinballs, it is large, confusing, and poorly lit. So I'm playing and at one point I get the ball in some target and the backless becomes like a video game screen and it's a jet fighter game, from first person perspective, like after burner, say and the flipper buttons are the fire buttons, but to move the plane, I had to move the whole pinball machine around, back and forth, and up and down, with some difficulty. Later I asked a guy who was the owner of the arcade about our dad he said that was the way to do it, but Pierre hardly ever got into that mode. Then something happened, and I was in front of a swamp or overgrown riverbank, with lots of mud on the ground, and a mowed field behind me. I was facing the water, with some sort of rotting wooden box in front of me. I was holding onto it like a pinball machine, and there were things on either side like button, maybe rusted pieces of metal? So anyway, I walk away and up the field. Soon I become aware of a fence, and on the other side are some of my friends. Though it was one of those fences made of rough logs four to six inches in diameter, as at Nanny and Nono's house, it was around ten feet tall, and there was barbed wire in between the wood, so that it was seemingly impassable. I walked along it, my friends on the other side, looking for an opening. Then Ed Koch, former mayor of NYC, was there. I saw a place to climb through about four or five feet up, and I said something to Ed to the effect of I knew it would piss him off, but I'm going through the fence anyway. So I climbed through, and went off with my friends, across a field away from the fence. I know there were more dreams, but I can't remember any more just now. Dreams from sleep approximately 4 p.m. December 20th 90 to 2 a.m. December 21st 90. It started out with me and John and Chris walking up Spring Run to the sidewalk on the right, to catch a bus. There was something cowled around my head, and there were indications of pinball in the recent past. It seems the bus already went down Spring Run, and we were waiting for it to come back up. It was not a school bus, but a commuter bus, and was full of business suit to tired folks. Well, we were on Washington Valley, and the bus came by us, and we assumed it would stop but it didn't. As it passed, I waved my arms at it and yelled, and saw someone in the entrance steps to the bus, but it didn't stop. We supposed one of us should have hailed it as it came by, but none of us did. So, missing the bus, we sat on the bench at the end of that sidewalk and set about waiting for the next bus. The next thing I remember is being at the bus stop, but it had already gotten dark. There were some some people there, including my mother I think, and it might have been snowing or perhaps it had snowed. In any case, everything was lit with street lights, and there was a stark lazy sort of beauty. I think it was my mother who pointed out something across the road, where in reality the Martinsville Inn is. It was a hill, seen through a small woods. The hill had a steep trail leading up it, and there were dully lit huge street lamps, one next to the other, going woe the trail. She commented as to how interesting it looked now, 
as if the configuration changed often or the lamps were just put in or it was organic or something. We agreed it was cool and I think it was me and Chris who walked over to see it firsthand. But as we neared, closer to us and to the right of the hill was a wired observatory assumedly a huge domed telescope housing, but this was more like a planetarium projector and massive clockwork construction. In the odd lighting of the night, the array on top of the building gyrated and twisted, and we were fascinated. We went over to the building it was on, down some steps and into an open door into the basement of the thing, which seemed to be a sort of museum because we could see through glass partitions the inner clockwork like workings of this thing, and an audio animatron of some sort pumping a huge bellows in the next room, apparently supplying power to the thing. But I guess the display was closed, because some Iraqi guy came up to us and was friendly, but led us out. While he was doing this, I told him to give a message to Sassam Hussein get out of Kuwait, because we, the USA, were not fooling around. He seemed unfazed and even a bit amused by this. As we were led out, there was a smooth transition, and we were on a train. The train was three or four times wider than a normal train, and we walked in a central corridor, and then saw a Dunkin' Donuts stand in a hallway to our right, on the left side, manned by an Iraqi guy I think. I made a mental note to go back, because, I thought, usually the good food stand were closed this time of night. Yes, it was night, and we were returning to where the rest of the people we were with were on the train. Apparently, the people from the bus stop were now on the train, but, I had lost all recollection of the bus stop, and it was as if we were on the train the whole time. So we were in some sort of compartment, long or thin, running the width of the train. It seemed sort of an in-trace waiting sort of area. I think I told my mother I was going down to the Dunkin' Donuts to get some food. As I left, I realized that my mother had the tickets, and that the tickets hadn't been taken yet. But I didn't let this stop me. I left that area and started walking towards the back of the train. I got to the back, and it was daytime, but there was another lapse in logic, and the back of the train was the back of a mall. Still on the train, I saw the exit and began flying down the hallway arms outstretched, I think fists clenched, Superman style. I saw some people in the distance coming towards me and I wondered if they would be surprised that I was flying. But then I got out of the train and was flying over a parking lot at the back of the mall. There was some loudspeaker or memory which told me there was another mall some 1,000 feet further down, but I decided not to go. I landed in the parking lot, facing the back of the mall, and I think there was a beach to my left. Out in the parking lot there was some sort of demonstration or taping of a 30-minute commercial going on. There was a woman and a man as the hosts, I think. The product was this huge brown log-like thing and some sort of equivalently sized brown rounded block. The log thing was three or four feet long, and came in a bag like a sliced white bread bag. I was asked to help demonstrate the thing, and me and some other guy were asked to lift the log onto the block. It seemed the log was an artificial meat product made of some kind of butter filaments or something but I remember noting that it contained no meat, since I was a vegetarian also in the dream. But I recall thinking that I don't want something which pretends to be meat because I hated the texture and taste of meat also. The block thing was a heater, and as we lugged the log of butter filament fake meat onto it, smoke or steam rised and it was cooking. Apparently the product was geared toward family cookouts and the like, but I felt it was time to get back onto the train so I bid adieu. Now, I did apparently acknowledge that I had to get back onto the moving train, but the fact that I was at an unmoving mall was totally not dealt with logically. So I walked around to the left-hand side of the mall and passed several storefronts it was Sunday or something so not all the stores were open. I knew some of the stores had entrances on both the outside and inside of the mall train. So I went into some store with the word paper in its name. It sold cartoon sort of stuff, and cutesy girly pink stationery crap etc. I was to the back and went through a door there, but I was in a sort of janitorial sink and equipment area, so I walked through another couple doors and got to one marked velvet area re-entry or something very similar, opened and stepped through the door, and was back in one of the main hallways of the moving train, and it was apparently daytime. I walked through some hallways on the train, and came to a door marked Beatles Encyclopedia, and I took Encyclopedia to mean something mushmish for some reason, so I went in. Inside was a medium-sized room with some tables and chairs, and a bunch of different Beatles stuff neatly arranged here and there. Sitting in 
in the corner on some sort of low couch was apparently John Lennon. He said something like, oh, come in, and I got to talking to him. I wasn't sure if he was really John Lennon or just an imitator. I told him he seemed to look a bit younger than I took his age to be. I asked him if he had any ID to prove he was John Lennon. He asked an old woman who was in the room also, apparently his mother, whether or not that had ID. Then I was talking to him later saying things like, well, I like the Beatles but I'm not fanatical about it, and talking to him about some of the things the Beatles talked about doing, like setting up organizations or something, which I thought was commendable. Actually, just the dream Beatles did these things of which were sort of idealistic schemes such as I might come have come up with. Then later I was with a group of people arranged in a circle, out in the driveway of this house in Martinsville, half on the driveway, and half on the grass by the apple tree. We were with John Lennon and we were singing songs and talking and stuff. Then began the last part of the dream, where I sort of assumed the train was also headquarter for some big typographical company, like ITC or something. I looked down on the ground and saw a sort of ripped version of the bug ache for type catalog I have, with the cover and inside pages vertically ripped, and staggered, so each inner page was a little longer than the previous one. This was just the way it was ripped. I took it to be you and LC, and picked it up to look at it, figuring someone had just discarded it. I looked at it, and though the the cover was like another issue of you and LC I already had in the dream. I looked through it and realized that it was an issue I didn't have, perhaps the issue before the one I had, and so I knew I had to have it and I put it down near me to the left of me. Then a black guy around my age, to my right, asked me if I picked up and stole everything that belonged to other people that I saw. I apologized to him and said I didn't realize it belonged to anyone. He said that he ought to really punch me in the nose for trying to steal his book. But I told him that since we were on an interstate train, at this I looked around at the unmoving landscape of my yard, and briefly wondered how we were on the train, but then discarded the notion, since I knew we were on the train, but I sort of imagined seeing the train down by the Eckert's driveway in a logic panic of some sort. So I told him since we were on an interstate train, we were subject to federal law, and therefore the penalty for assault would be much greater. He said it would be worth it to go to jail to be able to punch a thief like me. He was half serious too, it seemed. So I got back into the train proper, somehow, and started rummaging through shelves and drawers in a part of the train, I guess a storage or maintenance area of some sort. I was looking for copies of you and LC and other typographic goodies, assuming they must keep a large stock of freebie copies somewhere around there. So I was rummaging, and was taking a few things I was finding, assuming they were free anyway, I guess. In one drawer I took a little metal container which had five little pens pencils in it, like the peas bar product in reality, but made of a silver-colored metal. But as I turned a corner I stuck it on a shelf not wanting to steal it. Then in another set of shelves I was looking through some books, and they seemed to be arranged neatly, and they were new, and there were multiple copies of each book. So I started to figure it was a train bookstore of some sort, and questioned whether or not I could just blatant steel stuff. I looked at one book which was about color, and had different variations of a color chart on each page. I was looking for something more typographic, when I found a magazine-sized comic book sort of thing. I looked at it and the title was Red Alley Earth. The title was to the right of the center on the top of the page, in light green, and the picture was in light color, as in the NY view of the world pictures. I remembered having seen it in quality comics years earlier in the, dream reality, and started to put it pack, but then realized that it was totally copied from me, and then took another look. The page I saw was the first page inside after the inside front cover. The page was divided into two columns. On the left column was a series of comic strips, and on the right column, the top one-third was comic strip and the bottom two-thirds was text. Apparently, it was a publication produced several years earlier, and a total copy of my nomadi ideas. In the text was an introduction about how this guy wanted to create a new sort of entertainment, and there was a list of the various subdivisions of his enterprise, which were copy of my divisions, using names I had also created. The only one which I remember perfectly is Tin Alley Systems, which would have been a copy of my Unreal Systems, and my character Tin Alley Rascal. I was getting pissed off. On the top of the left column was a comic strip with this guy's main character, named Cosmic, who was a poor ripoff of Zope. In the strip I read, Cosmic, a crude, scribbled stick figure, pointed to something and said look, two little kids having some fun.
Then in the next panel it crudely showed him throwing or shooting something and he said something like I'll kill them now, then a picture of the two kids, getting hit or killed or whatever. I was outraged at the misinterpretation and simplification of Zop. Then the comic on top of the right hand column was about this guy's enlightenment about what he should do in his life, and the text I remember clearly is I don't know when the thing they call adult entertainment was created, but I know it's my destiny to destroy it. And there were pictures of a circle divided in two by a vertical line, black on one side and white on the other, on a black background, then the same on a white background, with the black and white reversed. I remember thinking that at least this guy never got anywhere, and I considered taking the magazine back with me, as I was going back to the long room where everyone I was with was. That was the end of the dream. Another dream before, I only remember a slight fragment of, I was with Mike Massotto, and he was complaining that I took too long to go to the bathroom, and we were in a restaurant or something with a glass wall. So, in analysis, the divided circle was a total reference to Harfival, the guy, in copying me totally misinterpreted what I was doing, and only saw the surface elements. Right after I woke up, I noted that he dream was unusually detailed and realistic. I can still remember what the scribbled drawings looked like, and that sort of clarity is hard to find in dreams. I also remember thinking in the dream how Tin Alley Rascal seemed to be derived from Tin Pan Alley, and I wondered if anyone would notice or mind. But the flying, and the train were common elements in my dreams these days. There wasn't any time travel in this dream, but it had the feel of time travel, of being in a place supernaturally, etc. So there it is, my dream. This is Frank Edward Nora. I slept from about 2 p.m. December 21st 90 to 11 p.m. December 21st first 90, and I had another dream, albeit a much less clear one. Apparently, I had either voluntarily or involuntarily transferred my consciousness back to myself in high school so I was in my body and location of when I was in high school, but I had my mind of today. Well, I was totally at a loss as for what to do, since I had no idea what my schedule was or what the hell was going on. So I was just sort of wandering around the school. At one point I was in the bathroom, trying to sort some of my stuff out. At another point, there was like this row of girls who were worshipping Wayne Newton, and me and my brother John went out to find Wayne Newton, and we were driving around a suburban neighborhood, and I was looking at a guidebook of some sort, and I saw that Wayne Newton's house was shaped like a grey nuclear cooling tower, and just as I saw the reference in the book we came to his house. We knocked on his door, and after a little while we answered. We asked him if he wanted to go back to our school with us, but he declined. Then we showed him a picture of the girls worshipping him, and he said he's be right over. Another part of the dream was vaguely in my old NYC apartment. That's all I can remember. But it's yet another dream in the series of having to go back to high school even though there's no reason to. Right now, I'm taking this to represent the idea that my education is complete and that I don't have to continue learning, but that I have to begin executing my designs. Also, I was thinking about the tangible lostness I feel, which I think is a component of my generation, of growing up when I did. It seems like there are so many options and so much freedom but so few points of reference that doing anything becomes a random hit and miss sort of thing. Oh well. This is Frank Edward Nora. Right now it's December 24th 90, 4.27am, and it seems like I've been asleep for most of the past 24 hours. One segment of sleep was from late morning yesterday to mid-afternoon yesterday. The other was from late afternoon yesterday to about 3 a.m. this morning, a few hours ago. So here are the dreams I remember from these sleeps. The first segment of sleep, I was somehow watching rushes from a movie I was in, in the back room in Nana's kitchen, with a few of my co-stars. We seemed vaguely to be watching it in the microwave oven. But when we began watching, it was like I was there, in the scenes. One scene was driving in a car through Martinsville away from my house, in the middle of the night. Another scene was walking up Newman's Lane, away from Martinsville, going past Logan Farms in the pitch dark. As I was walking, I was thinking what an odd sight it must be, and how scary it is, to see a few people walking along in the dark followed by a few people with lights and cameras. Back with the people, after watching the rushes, I had to admit that I had no memory whatsoever of the filming of those pieces, and they sort of were confused. Then it was, there was a new train station in Somerville, and I entered from somewhere, apparently underground, through an area which was like a food court only more dimly lit, and maze-like.
not open. Then I got to a doorway, looking down into the main concourse of the train station, which was huge like Grand Central, but made to look like the interior of a mansion. The stairs went down either way, and were exceedingly steep and curvy, and the rugs on them were loose and the hand railing was loose, and I was a little acrophobic, so going down them was scary. At the bottom, I was supposed to meet someone, but I got some indication that I should go to the right, into some of the other rooms. These rooms were like rooms in someone's mansion, with no apparent train station-y stuff at all. I met someone in there, but I forget what happened. We were planning on doing something or something. Later, I was going down into a tunnel, and I knew I was going to meet someone to do some freelance work for the CIA. In the tunnel, there seemed to be a big chain-link fence to me left ceiling off the tunnel, but I later saw that a part of the tunnel nearby was demolished, and that you could go down to the right, which apparently ended where you could go right or left, to the left were experimental labs, to the right, offices. But I went to the left, and to the end of the tunnel where there was a little desk with a computer on it. Then someone who was very like Andrew Lauren, my old roommate, came up and started playing with a computer, making cool graphics come up on it. He said he was very, very happy about something and celebrating. Then I talked to him about the freelance work, and he said that one thing about working for the CIA was that they would keep detailed records on you forever. Then later, it was like I was part of the crew of a crashed spaceship, and we were on a sort of swampy area of a planet and there were concrete cylinders, about three feet across, coming up out of the swamp to walk on. The only problem was that most of them started to sink as soon as you stepped on them. So there was a, a well or a shaft going down, and some evil guy came up, and we were fighting him, and finally he fell down the well to splash into water far below. He was sort of a ragged, evil-looking guy. Then later, in the kitchen of this house, sitting at the table, with the people I was in the movie with, they apparently had been working on a project where they would take footage of bad things happening to try and convince governments and people to do something. They showed me something on a farm, then something on another farm where these two baby donkey were being killed apparently in some slow manner since they were both on the ground, praying in pain. Their faces, and especially their eyes, were very vivid for a dream. Then they told me about the next piece they were going to show me, about how it was incredible and it involved a mother stabbing her son with a fork. The footage began, and it was in perfect home movie form, with grainy film, shakiness, flash cuts, etc. It was apparently in a diner or truck stop, and these people were stopping to eat on a car trip and they were sitting, from left to right, a mother, her son, and a cat with its front legs up on the table and eating out of a plate, its back legs on the seat. It appeared to be from the 70s, like candid camera footage. So anyway, the mother was giving the cat some manicotti stuffed shells with tomato sauce, and the cat was eating it. Then the camera pulled back and revealed the mother and son were anthropomorphic cats now and then. The small cat had plates full of manicotti cheese and stuff in front of him, and while he kept looking down with a calm expression, he flipped and threw a four to six plate full of stuff at the mother, with some landing on the son. The mother, covered in cheese mechanically and smoothly jabbed her son with a fork, apparently thinking he had done it. It was apparent that the fork was going so slow that it could not really have hurt him. Then I woke up, and I was disturbed by the last part of the drum. I was woken up by my mother, being that my grandparent were there, and I think waking up just after that left a strong impression in my mind. Only later did I realize the fact that the amazingness of the footage was not the fork, but the fact that the mother and son transformed into cats, and that the real cat was throwing food around. The second segment of sleep, I was trying to find a parking spot in Jersey City, and finally I wound up parking on a side street. Apparently I was taking the ferry boat into New York. Then I think I went to see Andrew Lauren, and I told him about the dream I had with the guy who looked like him at the CIA, and as I told him about the part where the dream hymns said about the CIA keeping records on you, I saw a computer screen with a list of things like what a person drank on a certain day, and other super personal information. With him, I was going through like record bins and filing bins, and I was trying to choose some stuff to take with me somewhere. There were about five or six peanut butter cup packages, and at first I opted not to take them, but then later I decided to get them back. So, another part of the dream I was exploring a sort of haunted house or factory with a few other people, but I had broken away from the others, and I was going downstairs, 
and I finally wound up at a lower level, apparently on grounds, level looking out onto a lawn, and a guy there said if I stood in this certain spot by the window, I'd see these strange things. So I stood there, and I saw in the distance a glowing green horse galloping toward me with a female green glowing rider. I instantly stepped back, saying I recognized the girl as an evil entity I had been in conflict with. Then in the other corner of the room, I was confronted by this evil girl entity, and fought her or something. I had some sort of strange relationship with the girl being, like I was her former lover or something. Then later I was in a record store and then some people walked in, one of whom I thought was the entity. Then in another part of the shop, I was looking at a toy rack with some Korean kid, trying to find the best toy, and he showed me one which was like a calculator, but it had all these musical and other cool functions. Then I went back to his house. Then later I was in my room with Mike Masato, and I was asking him to some back to Jersey City with me to get my car since it was late at night and it was dangerous there. He didn't want to, but then he showed MT this huge gun with all sorts of quips and attachment coming from it, and apparently it had a special sort of emission, like sound waves or air or magnetism or tiny darts or something. Then later I was in a classroom, and the people were sitting around the wall, and I was crawling behind the people, towards the door. Apparently I was in Canada, and I was tailing to someone who I know, saying that by going back and forth to Canada and England, and America, and all over like that, I was gaining a better worldview and stuff sort of understanding the world better and stuff. Well, that's all I can remember. This is Frank Edward Nora. Well, last night I had a lot of really weird dreams, but I will attempt to outline the more memorable ones. Sleep was from about 11.30pm last night to 9am this morning. Yesterday I was playing Slime World on my links for several hours, and I did have seemingly hours worth of video game dreams. A game like Slime World where you slowly progress through a maze or world or something. At one point, there was like a video game girl character, small and blonde, with a whip whipping out mechanically every few seconds. It seemed she was an advocate for letting fairies be included in the game, and apparently she convinced the lords of the video game to allow the first fairy to be in the game a pixie. It seems like there are vague allusions to civil rights here, but anyway. In one dream, I was in Manhattan, on W 4th Street by Tower Records. There was a movie theater about where the Island Records office is, and an NYU animation festival was playing there, and I met a few people from NYU and asked them about it, and I was planning on going to the film later. Then I went into Tower Records, but the whole store was turned into a huge banquet store, and apparently the record store had been moved exactly one block down. Then I wound up in a huge pearl paint, and I asked a sales girl two questions, where's the bathroom, and where's the typography letterset department? She gave a lengthy explanation of where the letterset department was, explaining it was all the way on the other side of the store, and she expressed doubt that I'd be able to find it. Then he led me to the bathroom, but the men's room was locked, so she threw me a key, but then a guy came out and I went in but I just sat down in front of one of the sinks and started eating some french fries and another guy was at a sink to my left also eating french fries but a different sort of french fries I think it was here that I thought about the pixie in the video game thing another dream was that I had stayed in a sort of hotel with someone and it was sort of in an alternate universe and there was a sense that there was some sort of danger so we quickly packed up and left and I was out in the parking lot and my friend was in the car but I went back in to make sure we got everything because there was a vague indication that we were traveling across realities and wouldn't be coming back here. So I went back in. The place was a large open space, sort of indoor, sort of outdoor. I met a maid or waitress or something that worked there, and I she started talking to me, and I knew that she might be a threat. But I was on my guard, and I was sort of playing or something, and we both knew the situation sort of, and we walked across the space, and I was talking to her a little, then we came to an enclosed stone stairway leading up a short distance to a door. I remarked that this was a dimension door, and we both went up it and opened the door, and climbed a rather lengthy stairway to a nighttime cobblestone street in a modern city, across from a restaurant, in a sort of back street. I thought about the person I left in the car, but felt this wouldn't take long. So me and this woman went into the restaurant and it was very crowded and we walked all the way to the back and sat down at a table with a few other 
the people and ordered some food. Maybe we were being chased, but I'm not sure. Then, after we got some bread, she made some sort of remark that she was going to end this little escapade very quickly, and I said that this would be a good time to poison me, so I didn't eat anything and said it was time to leave. She seemed upset, but I said I was very suspicious that she was an enemy, and that there was no way to find out, and the only safe thing to do was to leave. But I did ask her for her name and phone number, but expressed doubt that we lived in the same universe, and then the dream sort of ended. Well, that's about it. This is Frank Edward Nora. Last night I had several odd and realistic dreams. The details are a bit fuzzy for the first two segment, and the third segment, the oddest, is a bit clearer. In the first segment I remember, it was in Nanny and Nono's backyard, and there was a thing where there were all these pens, and somehow I was going around dropping them or picking them up or something. It seemed like I was disabled in some way, and I believe my brother and sister were tending to me in some way. I think I was going around on all fours, and there was a little house for me in the yard. Though I seemed to be in a disabled state, I was really just pretending, for in the dream I remember that I was just acting that way, and everyone believed me. The second segment, me and my brother John were driving around, and Chris Fido Roo came up and gave us some component of a device, and we were driving down Washington Valley Road, towards Pluckheman, and we got to Long Road, which was a dead end in a cul-de-sac, and there was this large box sort of thing which was some sort of device we had but were keeping there in the middle of the road, and we tested the thing out but I don't remember what it did, and maybe we put it in the car. In retrospect, the component and the box seem to be related to 2001, which I saw last night on TNT. That is, the component which Hal said would go bad, and the monolith. The third segment was the oddest. In it, I was apparently myself but was either in the body of, or projecting the image of being in the body of, a teenage girl in the late 60s or early 70s. I was apparently impersonating this girl for some reason. I vaguely recall being at her house with her family, then I had to go across the city to a store. I either walked or rode a bike, then at the store, which had a row of pinball machines to the left, and a counter to the right, I had to fill out some forms for some reason, like to register something or whatever, and I remember remembering my first name as the girl, but forgetting the last name, and fumbling through my wallet to try and find some ID to see what my name was, and I noticed that I had my own IDs in there as well as the girls. The guy behind the counter was sort of just sitting there, but I was getting paranoid, and I just said oh, I thought you needed my social security number for it, and he said he didn't, and took the partially filled out form. The guy to his left I think asked me if I did those mind-altering drugs, and I said no not too much that is, thankful that there was an explanation for my odd behavior. Then I was about to leave, and the store was about to close, and they opened a door by the other end of the counter, behind the counter, leading to a ramp down to a basement, where I could partially see a lot of weird, multicolored contraptions. When I saw this, I said wait, wait a second, that's the exact scene I had in a dream last week. And indeed, I recalled seeing those very machines in a basement in a recent dream, though I can recall no dream I really had like that. All this time I was acting like a girl might act, trying not to be out of character, being a bit bratty. Then they said something like well let's let her go down. They were apparently setting up for some sort of event involving the machines, like a game or something. I went bang the counter and right up to the door to look down, but I said no thanks. That looks like a rapist machine or something, said in jest, but I really was concerned, being that these were all young men, and I was afraid what they might do to a girl alone, even though I really wasn't a girl. So I went away from the door, but instead of leaving, I went to play a good pinball machine. Some guy was playing to my right and I had to slide the machine over a little. As I was playing, the dream focused on the mechanics of the game, which became more and more complex, with thousands of tiny balls, different shoots and plunges, and all sorts of stuff. Then, I get some notion that the stuff in the basement was actually inside the pinball machine, and part of the pinball machine. Then I woke up. Diary of a Dream Frank. You know, I guess I have a pretty hectic life, being unemployed and publishing a magazine and stuff, but my dream self really has it tough. Here's some examples of my average dream day. 2 6 91 Today me and my friend went into a high school and I met an old friend of mine, 
but he pretended he didn't know me, like he was brainwashed or something. It was between classes, and there were hordes of students in the hallways. We went down a steep ramp, which they had instead of a staircase. Then I took my pants off and left them there, and I don't know why. Then we had to go back and get my pants back from a teacher. I recited some poetry or something and she was very impressed. Then later I found an enormous rock formation in the front yard. I put a wet metaphysical blanket over it in case it had supernatural properties. I thought it might have been an ancient staircase which my father had unearthed and put there, upside down. I went inside to ask him, but I couldn't find him. When I went back out the rock formation had been replaced by my light blue Volkswagen rabbit and some bushes. I went around the side of the house to find my friend, but was unable to. When I returned to the site, everything was gone, so I checked all the bushes in the front yard. Discovering nothing, I went to the site, and found that a new window into the basement had appeared. A friend came over, and we looked inside, and there were all these weird little fairies in there, sort of dressed in colorful superhero costumes. Then the idea that there were giants, humans, little folks, and tiny folks came to my mind, and I saw images of old engraving of humans and giants having sex. Apparently these fairies were the tiny folks. I knew they were extremely dangerous, so we started a cult battling them. That was it for the day. 2 6 91 I went somewhere with my mom and my brother and sister and my friend today I forget where but on the way home we were driving through a town and we saw the earth in the sky. It was really big, and it had a red tinge to it. I saw all of North and South America, as well as Europe and Africa. There were few if any clouds. Then after I got home I got to thinking, and I came began to wonder how we could see the earth in the sky if we indeed on the surface of the earth. I discussed the matter with my father, and he said I had a good point, but how did I explain the fact that the earth could be seen in the sky? I said that perhaps all of reality was different than we supposed, and that the earth and moon were just projections of some sort. I said, if we're in New Jersey, you could see the general location of New Jersey on the earth and the sky, and how could we be looking at it if we were in it? My father was bemused, but unshaken. Later I went bowling, and I had a weird green bowling ball, and I was with a few friends, but I was bowling alone in the end alley. I was really clumsy, and I kept dropping the ball and always getting gutter balls but the pin setting mechanism was busted, and every time it got a gutter ball it would grab all the pins and shake them till they fell down. Because of this I was getting a strike every time. Then a friend came up to me and said I was cheating. Then later on I got two new cartridges for my Atari Lynx, and went down to a restaurant to hear a speaker. The guy was talking about some sort of philosophy or something, but it was really boring. So I was going to leave, but I went into the men's room first, and it was really weird. There was all sorts of porno crap on sale, like magazine and videos. I went up to a urinal and pissed. But there was all this gross stuff on the urinal, and it got on my pants, so I was using a paper towel of something to get it off, but it was really hard to get off. Then all of a sudden the bathroom was crowded with men and women. Then I sort of left and that was it for the day. 2 13 91 This evening me and my father drive out to Pennsylvania. We were driving through a city Scranton, reading, and I suggested we stop in and see a few of my old friends who lived there. So we parked in a driveway and walked over to the building where they were. Outside there was a sewer grating with water streaming down into it in some kind of remarkable way. Paragraph When we went into the lobby of the building, my two friends were there. The elevator was out of order, and they had to wait till it was fixed, cause there weren't any stairs. I asked them why there wasn't a ladder in the elevator shaft, but they just shrugged. Paragraph Soon the elevator was fixed and we went up to their floor. Even though their apartment was just a little ways down the hallway, they made us get into a little monorail of some sort to go to their apartment. But it was farther than I thought to their door, because we soon found ourselves on an interstate, passing shopping malls and billboards and stuff. Then we passed a college and I asked them if it was Albright College, but they just shrugged. Then later it was daytime and me and a friend were driving on a weird mountain road, and conversing obsessively in out Gilligan's Island for hours and hours. I think at one point we met an aged Gilligan and talked to him for a while. That was it for the day. 2 14 91 Earlier today I was up in a building with my friends, and things got really messed up, 
and they were destroying the place and throwing things out the window, to the cheers of people below. Later I was in a bathtub and maybe drinking yoohoo, and I was discussing a plan with my girlfriend. Then later, I was in a city, walking through the streets. It was dark, like it was about to rain, and there some government agency was explaining an incident by showing these weird needle things fly high above the city streets. But then a few of them swooped down and one nicked me in the arm. I sort of hurt, and I knew I could hold the government responsible, so I went into a big office supperly store to call the police. I dialed zero for the operator, and when he came on, I said that I was Frank and could he please connect me with 911. He hesitated, then connected me. By this time, there were a few weird people hanging around, standing near me and looking at me, pissing me off. Then a guy answered and said hey, Frankie baby. I asked if it was 911, but the guy just laughed and said I don't think so. Then I left the store cause the people were really bugging me, and I saw a doctor's office on a weird steep hill, so I headed up there to see if there was a phone. It was nighttime by now, and on the steep steps I saw some giant dimes, about six across. Then I realized it was just an illusion to help me find coins. I found a number of coins then. When I got to the top of the hill, I was walking around the little building, and I heard a mother yelling at these evil kids who had just killed some people. Then she told them to go and play, so I ran away as fast as I could. Soon, I saw these four bad kids blocking pedestrian traffic in an enclosed walkway of some sort. The four of them were holding the crowd back, and the edge of the crowd was a wall of rice, for some reason. From a distance, I saw that one of the kids was Martha Quinn from MTV. Then as I zoomed in, I saw that another of the kids was Chris Elliott, of former David Letterman fame. At the edge of the crowd was his father, Bob Elliott, of the famous Bob and Ray. He seemed thinner and younger than I remembered and he was making cynical comments. I heard him say you know, I wish he'd listen to my idea and stuff a bomb in this crowd, or have one overhead. Chris replied oh dad, you know I'm waiting for a girl who's pregnant with an atomic bomb. Then another of the kids, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, a former SNL fame, cleared her threat and said uh, Chris she was wearing black, and she was sitting down, with her back to, the wall. She was pregnant. Chris was ecstatic. Apparently she was the he had waited for, one who was pregnant with an atomic bomb. That was it for the day. 2-14-91 This afternoon we were at a train station in the city. A friend of mine gave me a piece of paper with a few names on it, and he told me to go to the end of a platform and pry open a locked door. I went there, and the platform was strewn with debris apparently unused. I found the door and pried it opened, revealing a flight of stairs going up to the left, and a few dozing bums. I walked up the stairs and found myself in an apartment. I saw a woman in the next room, so I knocked on the wall. I thought she'd be upset that I was there in her apartment, but she just greeted me and asked what I wanted. I told her I wanted to talk to the guy whose name was first on the list, but she said he was out. Then I asked about the second guy, but he was also out. But she said the money was right there at the bottom of the stairs, and that I could just take it. So I went down the stairs and found a huge wad of big bills near the bums. I took it and went over to the other platform where my friends were waiting for me. With the money, we were able to get on the train and get going. Later on, we were walking up a hill to see Donald Trump's house. There were other tourists around, and it was a sunny day. So we went up to the door and knocked, and some sort of butler let us in, and we went in, even though we assumed it was a misunderstanding. Then we Ivana Trump came out and greeted us, and she took us into a room where there were a bunch of people sitting around stiffly watching CNN coverage of the war in the Gulf. Me and my friends, one of whom was a stout oriental girl, sat cross-legged behind a couple of big chairs in the corner. But some people were motioning to us. We thought they wanted us to leave. But I got the message that we shouldn't be crouching behind the couch, but rather sitting on chairs just like them. So we sat on chairs. I didn't think we should be there, but because we were allowed in, I thought I'd just go along. Then I saw some of that black and white footage of an allied plane bombing an Iraqi target with a smart weapon. Then I was talking to some guy about the personal license you need to broadcast over the radio, and how it relates to being allowed to wear underwear. That was it for the day. 2-17-91 A pressurized wheat storage facility which shoots wheat 10 feet into the air. Canadian border guards checked the corn in my trunk for contraband. 2 20 
is a government agent. Me and my fellow agents raid a new age shop and confiscate its wares. From there, I bring home a little blue coaster with a girl's face on it, and a threatening message written on the back. A gang of evil shapeshifter posing as a family of goats knock on the basement door. I yell for them to leave because it's private property, and they do, since they must obey all laws, but they come right back having gotten off for a moment. Later in the backyard I was knocking down trees by powerfully punching them, and then tossing them into the woods to create art or something. I left a few standing so my parents wouldn't be too pissed off. Later, I meet George Bush in an elevator, but he leaves his camera behind as he leaves. I return it to him, and as a favor he visits a female friend of mine and flops on a bed with her. 2-22-91 Germany is due east of New Jersey. I'm there on my bike, riding home. There. Some fucking dogs attack me, so I make their owner put them in the back of his truck in a basket with some other dogs. Later, in a brass surplus store, a seismograph reacts violently to me. The sales girl says it's because of my warmongering ways. 2-21-91 Get on subway in Manhattan, 6th Avenue. Line, and wind up in Los Angeles. Miss my stop and get to sunny college area, with laser show nearby. Later, I get on a boat and sail to Castle Budany, where weird typeface stuff is going on. Also, somehow I inhabited the body of Sherilyn Fien, and was standing in front of a mirror looking at myself and, feeling myself. I was listening to a previously recorded interview with Miss Fien, and noted that I was then in the same body that had been at the interview. 2-18-91 I see Gov. Mario Cuomo and Sen. Ted Kennedy at the entrance of a parking garage arguing over who was going to be the next president, talk about nightmares. 2-23-91 I know a girl in a department store who's involved in Satanism. She is killed, apparently by Satan. When I get home, there is a contract with Satan by my bed. I violently rip it up and vow to kill Satan. Also, the fourth occurrence of a dream where I have to go back to high school. I tell my fellow students that it's really weird, Becky Ace I had three dreams about it previously. Also, putting letra set on my cat. 2-16-91 Roseanne Barr driving a school bus down an extremely steep and bumpy hill. These dreams are from a sleep slop from around 1 p.m. March 14th 91 to 3 a.m. March 15th 91. I guess there's around 14 hours and it was undisturbed, I think. Lost City I was with a few people and we were in another country, and we were exploring these ruins sort of like a 17th century Spanish fort or something, but restored as a tourist attraction. There was an elevator there, and I went up it. Later, there were people from my 1987 S and S video class at NYU. We were looking at various works of art. I think one of the works of art might have been mine, and also there was like a photo of me or something. At this point there was a mall sort of connected to the ruin. Before that, it was sort of like I traveled back in time in the ruin, and I was walking around and it was sort of like a casino I went into a room to get changed to play some games but the money I got back was just photocopies of dollar bills so I tried to trade these in for real bills but somehow I got photocopies again or something from some mafioso-like guy. Then there was a part where I was sneaking around, in a sort of present past duality state, and I saw some of the officer's quarters in the old fort. Alternate world I was with my brother, and a few other people. We were planning on traveling to an alternate world. There was a guy with long hair, and I referred several times to him being from Ago Wapish. Out in the backyard, Martinsville, there was a beach, and I was splashing around in waist-deep blue water, holding a mirror up to my shoulder, looking behind me. Apparently I was surrounded by four big whiteboards, angled away from me. Also, someone I knew was filming me from behind. I was filming a commercial or something, with the idea of looking behind yourself or something. The boards were flight, I guessed, but I was going all over the water backyard. Then a guy came out onto the porch area and asked what we were doing, and told us to be careful not to ruin the equipment. Before, there was something with being out in the field behind the woods, and being in an alternate time or place, and trying to get home or something. Then, we were in my room, and with the long-haired goopy guy, and my brother had painted a large, 4x6 feet approximately, wide, painting, depicting mountains and rivers and valleys and stuff. Now I had developed a technique of transferring to the alternate reality which involved going under the water and stuff. But my brother's painting started to move and show different scenes if you stared at it, 
and me and my brother and the agoopy guy, as we looked at it, found ourselves floating or flying above the landscape. Then we got to the backyard again, but we were in the alternate version of the backyard. I complained that we weren't really there yet, since we hadn't used my method, but they didn't much care. In the backyard, there was something where there were all these trinkets and things on the porch, which we were sort of collecting from under the water, and someone, some woman I think, threw all these marbles out into the yard, much to my consternation. I told her I was collecting these marbles for years, since I was young. I went out in the yard to try and look for them, and found some of them. We never did use my method. Trained this part of the dream involved me and I think Mike Masato, or perhaps my father. We were taking this train or boat sort of thing to some foreign country, and we were sort of wondering whether to take it, or we were taking it and we were wondering about it. So I started exploring the train, but it was vertical, like, the cars were one above the other, and exploring it was like playing a video game and there were all sort of little things like springboards on the walls, and people all around, and I went through the train, and tried to report back to the other person about it. Then there's a vision of a big mega industrial port, very German, at night, with wireframe type black structures, etc. Evil Park this was very weird. There was like this park or amusement park or enclosed area, in which there were all these buildings, corridors, rooms, etc. At first, my and my friends were walking through it, and it was sort of open and futuristic, and there were tubes of people sitting around listening to speakers. So we figured we should disrupt things, so I went walking into a classroom and walked in front of the teacher, who was a guy with a deep voice, and I was copying everything he said in a mocking deep voice. And the students were giggling, and he looked over at me, but he was just bewildered, as if he didn't understand what was going on. So we were doing more disruption, and we were looking around and stuff and we began to realize that this was like the base of a cult or something, where people were conditioned and brainwashed and stuff. So I went out into a loading bay type area, which I knew the cult members had a mental block against going into, and I knew there were video cameras on me, but also, I knew that I was immune from harm for some reason, because I was a time traveler or something. So I walked out onto this shaky balcony type walkway, and swung it back and forth, and hung onto the edge and dropped onto the loading bat floor, with escape in mind. Later, me and my friends were at the entrance, and there was this little photo booth, and inside we found this evil little skeleton guy, who was like a puppet or a robot or something. Apparently he was broadcasting from the booth to the rest of the park. I think we captured him, but I wasn't sure. Then we I think forced our way out onto the street, which was in a normal city, and there were some people there, and it was a heavily vegetated sidewalk, like totally surrounded by plants. And I told a woman with a baby in a baby carriage about the evil nature of the park, and then I tried to get to a phone to call the police, but I just kept running along the sidewalk, trying to get to a phone. But it seemed the block would never end. Then later, I was at a little headquarter of my own group, and we planned a raid on the park to destroy the leader. We saw some sort of broadcast from the park, with the little skeleton guy looking different like, we had huge smiling teeth. Maybe we beat him up or something, and he was repaired. But we saw an image of a high tower, and we heard him introduce Simon, the leader of the group, who we saw striding along with a cape and medieval garb and golden, shoulder-length hair I think, going into a little area, and sort of grabbing a little person or creature and dunking them in a lethal liquid of some sort. So we boarded a little futuristic flying jet vehicle, and flew toward the park, which was only as minute or so away. But I don't remember what happened after that. Maybe I was woken up briefly by sister yelling at my mother something. Drive it was me and my brother and someone else who was driving and maybe a few other people were there too. And we were driving along this highway, trying to get somewhere, and the driver missed the exit, and I told him I knew what to do, since I had made the same mistake also recently. There was an exit to the right which I told him to get off on, but when we got to it it was all blocked off with a sign of some sort on it. I remembered that it led to this cool series of underground tunnels roads which could be used as a U-turn. So we just continued on, and we came to a 7 to 11, so we got out, to buy stuff. Inside, I asked the clerk if he knew how to get onto our T-80 going the other way, and he showed us a road leading away from the 7 to 11, and told us to follow it and it would get right to the highway. In the store, 
we were buying some stuff at the magazine rack I got a copy of Physics Today magazine, which was large format. There were a few prices on the cover like $1,160, $100, etc. I was alarmed, but I saw that the single newsstand price was $6. I guess the others were institutional prices, or subscription prices or whatever. Also I got some candy or something, and we paid for everything and left military. This last part was like in a muddy field in another country, and I was in the military, and I was digging in the muddy field and there were people going by and stuff and I heard about how people were lauding me for my digging work. Then later, I was like in a basement, and digging for the military, inside some sort of abandoned area. And then Colin Powell came down, and congratulated and thanked me for doing this dirty work, and somehow he took it that I was being rude to him, and made some comment as to the coldness of the place or something else about my conduct. And he said something to the effect that I had taken this digging job in return for an appointment as a military chalpain or bishop or something. Then he left. Then I went upstairs, all muddy, into my parents' house, Martinsville, and I was sitting on floor in the living room with Julie, and she was recounting how Laura Comey or someone told her how when she was real young she found a little black kitten in the woods while staying with her friend, and she was hurting it and made it eat mud, and then maybe killed it. I remember thinking that I wasn't all that surprised, since she didn't like animals all that much. That's all of the dreaming that I can remember now, 4.30am, March 15th, 91. I was driving and I was going home and I was going to take an exit to Clark Avenue in Clark, New Jersey, and I was just going to go through to go home, but then I wound up having parked there, and then I was walking there to get my car, and then a girl I knew was there and she noted how dangerous it was to be in that bad area at night. Then I drove to a mall and I was parking at the mall, and somehow my other car was there also, and I wondered how I'd drive them both home. Then I was with Mike Massotto, and we were driving along on a highway, and we saw a movie theater, and we went there. We went in and the manager said we should have tried to get there on time, but we just left and I gave him the finger. Then outside, a middle-aged woman was with us, and Mike and her decided decided to sneak into the theater and see the movie, but I opted not to. They went in, and it was like the back of my parents' house. Then they came out and they were all undressed, and they were shocked with fright. I was also all undressed, and I was hiding in a bush. They were so stunned we went around to the front of the house and I offered to drive the CVAR around and pick them up, but they were just trying to compose themselves. Later Mike told me that he had worked in a movie theater and he used a trick he had learned he jarred the door open when he was inside. Then also he knew to look to his left when he went in, to make sure no usher was there. But something had gone terribly wrong. Later I was driving on a big asphalt surface, and there were train tracks everywhere and all around me the warning lights began flashing and I stopped and a seemingly endless train went by in front of me, and then behind me, so all I could see in front and behind were lengths of train. Later an alien landed at a mall in a spaceship, and I greeted him and appointed myself to show him around the mall and teach him about the earth. There were some other people with me too, and I was miffed that they were fawning over him and being so serious. So in the pet shop when he was mesmerized by all the cute animals, I took the clerk to the side and told him to feed the snake to upset the alien. So he took a huge, fat rat, and fed it to a very big snake. The snake swallowed the big rat in a disgusting gulp and the alien guy was very upset. Then later, the alien was about to take off to temporarily go back to his world for some reason. He mentioned something about using fusion to power his ship, and how we earthlings couldn't do it cause we had laws against nuclear in space. I was a little suspicious about the guy, and I asked him to give us a sign of his good faith, and I said that since he came from such an advanced civilization, they must have discovered a room temperature superconductor, and could he give us the formula? He verified that they did have such a thing, and I asked for the formula, and he said he would look into it. Then later it was me and the other people and I think the alien and we were going somewhere and we had been riding in my car but we were transferring to another car, and somehow there was all this stuff the people had left in my car, and I was clearing it out and moving it to the other car, and for some reason there were a large amount of pairs of shoes there. Dream last night. Wake up about 12.45pm. I had gone down to Disney World with only a little over a hundred dollars. I guess my goal was to see EPCOT and Disney MGM Studios quickly and then go back home. So I was in the lobby of the Contemporary Hotel 
which was all wrong, and I had my grey coat on and I checked it at a co-check and then went to the bathroom. I had to take a shit, so I went into a stall. After I found a good one, it was nearly pitch black in the bathroom, and then I saw like a janitor come in, and I saw that the stall I was in had no door, and a few people came in, and I was sort of embarrassed that they could see me. So I left the bathroom and went back over to the co-check to retrieve my coat, but as I was approaching it, I realized I was still wearing the coat. So I was confused, and asked the girl for my coat back, and she gave it to me a duplicate of what I had on. I walked away, and realized that my wallet was in the coat. I took the wallet out of the coat I was wearing, and then also took a copy of it out of the checked coat. They were identical. Later it was like in the basement and I had a lot of stuff laid out on the floor, and I had both wallets there, with wads of cash rubber banded, in two identical piles. The ones on the top each had identical graffiti on them, as well as identical serial numbers. I realized I shouldn't spend identical bills in the same place. Later Mike Massotto was in the basement, and I was arguing with him and I was smashing his head against the wall. He then lied down on a couch and asked me for a blanket, since all he wanted to do was go to sleep. I suppose he was expecting me to refuse him, cause he seemed shocked when I gave him one of my blankets. Later it was like at a used bookstore and I was there talking to the owner guy. Then some girl was supposed to be coming by with a shopping bag full of typography books. So we went outside to greet her. Inside we went to another room, and she had all these Canadian coins. The reason was that we were in Washington DC, and she had been over to the Canadian side of town. It was like the old Berlin split into two countries. Then we were just talking and one of the guys comes behind me with a big hypodermic needle, and jabs it into my shoulder. Then later I'm like on the ground and there's a black square a few feet across on the ceiling, and there's like a yellowish beam forming on it and dropping near my face. I know that this is the famous falling plaque torture, as the yellowish substance is plaque-like the tooth stuff. Somehow, Masato was involved with the torture. I think he was there, and I was telling him what a lame torture it was. Somehow they wanted me to talk. Also there was like something in a hallway, and also oh yeah we were in my grandparents house, and my father was like being a weird overlord guy, and there was a big office in there, and me and my brother were wondering where the hell in the house this office was, and we looked out the window and saw a place which we knew wasn't by the house, but my father kept assuring us that it was just another side of the house or something, like a side we weren't too familiar with, then he took us outside to prove it to us, but we didn't see the scene at all, he kept explaining away, then there was this fake looking dirt road carved into the lawn, I suppose which was meant to resemble a road out the window a little but it was a pathetic attempt. I guess that was it. Well now, I have a few dreams to report. Firstly, if I haven't yet read this, several, oh, several days ago I had a lovely little dream, which was of me at a row of pinball machines, and somehow by playing them, I was getting them pregnant, and I would enter the names of the children or fetuses forming inside these pinball machines. It was, needless to say, a pretty disturbing dream. Then, let's see, I think it was the other night, and I was driving like up Chimney Rock Road, and my car was that old little yellow sled shaped like a snowmobile, and my brother and a few other people were there, and we were driving, and the car sort of broke down, and it was all snowy and stuff and then it was sort of like inside a mall, and we were sort of carrying the car cause it was so light, but it took two of us to carry, and it was like an industrial offices or something, cause there were all these publications out there being collated or something, and me and my brother stole some magazines, because dad worked in there or something, and as we left, there was an NBC TV security girl there, and I sort of hid a dragon magazine behind my arm, then after we were out, I asked my brother and dad where the car was, and they said they threw it in the river cause it was busted, then I like panicked and went back in to find the car, and I went to what was I suppose my father's office in this bizarre office small road river place, and it was a little cubicle, and I was like reaching my hands in and washing my hands and stuff, and some girl came up to me and asked me what I was doing and shit, and I told her about the car that I had to retrieve, and it was Sunday or something so there weren't that many people around, now that's all I can remember of that dream, but last night I had a nice little dream, and this is how it went, I was sort of hired as a singer for a band on a train, and I had a seat, and I left all my shit on the seat and went to the front car to talk to like the conductor guy or whatever about the singing job, and he was a real asshole, like he wouldn't talk to me and stuff, and when I got back to my seat, 
all my stuff was gone, and they said that I had been let go. I said fine, but where's my stuff? Another conductor guy said I could get it in the theater department at the last car of the train, so I went back there, and in like the second to last car was Rob Perotti, just sitting with his back to a wall, eyes wide and seeming insanity. I tried to talk to him but he seemed stunned or mad. Then like a metal floor with like those little industrial anti-slip diamonds on it came rushing toward me, like at train level speeds, and for an instant I was in panic, but I jumped up onto it and walked back to the theater department. I climbed up a roughly built wooden ladder, and it was like a big artsy bohemian loft up there, but there was no one around, so I climbed back down, and used a phone to call the answering machine in the loft, and as I did, a few people came by and there was like this girl in front of me, and on the answering machine, I was pretending I'm NG to be like a radio host, and I asked a girl to describe me, and she said like, well, he has a horribly track-marked face of acne and stuff like that. Then Shannon Louisa came up, and I was still in like a radio mode, and first I called her Aaron by, mistake, then I called her Shannon, and asked her to comment there by the phone, it was like still on the train, but also like outside on a lawn or something, that was it for that part, but there was another part, and after that let me say the living glove dream, a from a while ago, so it was like up in Martinsville, and my father had a little building for his office, and we were there, and it was sort of boreen, and we had been driving around like just north of Martinsville, and it was like Pennsylvania, and we went through a town called I think Little Town and at a certain point on the street there was a great view of a valley or something. So anyway, back at this little office, there was a radio with a map of NJ on it, and a little crosshair device, which you could position over a location to get good reception of that area or something, and my mum and dad were arguing over it. And then there was like we were fighting a war about the Kurds or something, and I was like floating or flying along these walls. Then later out in the lowest corner of the front yard here, there were these two girls, and I think one of them was Sherilyn Fien, and I was out by the street and flying around to impress them. Like, I was using the sort of air swimming method employed in many of my flying dreams, like, and they were mildly amused, it seemed. Then later I was at a mall, and Eric Rutins and the whole Rutins family were working at a stand at a food court, and we were talking to them, and we were talking about how we were saving the curds and stuff. Then like Chris Fido Rook whispered to me not to mention the whole war thing to Eric, and then I was talking to Eric about computers, and about the Macintosh, and he said that he never understood the Mac so he was sticking with IBM and stuff. Well, that was it for that dream, but the dream a while ago was that I was at this camp or something, and there was a person there who had a glove and realized it was still alive. So they called the ASPCA, and an emergency van came, and I greeted it, and see Everett Coop former Surgeon General, was there with a few other people, and I gave them the glove, and they were pretty terse and rude and stuff, eh? Then they left, and that's about all the dream I can remember, but there was also sort of a part in a town with a swimming pool or an auditorium or something, and I think it was the same town where I was one of the Beatles in a dream or something. Also, about the train dream, I had that other dream where I was in a train and it sort of got like outdoors at one point. That was the dream where I met John Lennon and shit. First, I was a race car driver in a race where we were going from office building to office building, and I was in such a lead at the second race, I knew I'd win in the last few seconds. Also, a weird guitar, with an electronic tuner thing, but also conventional underneath. Also, like an evil EPCOT ride. Diary of a Dream Frank for Soaps Magazine No. 4, set Oaked 1991. We had a party for Pee Wee Herman this evening, and he wound up in bed with my ex-girlfriend, who seemed to be sort of Kelly McGillis. Later me and a friend were driving through Italy and looking for an airport, since a car seemed to be able to convert into an airplane. We stopped at an amusement park, and asked some Italians, and one answered in broken English that we'd have to go all the way to Austria on a super highway to find a suitable airport. Anyway, we went into a prep room to enter the amusement park, but it seemed like a hotel room. Socks found in a drawer of some note. Later on, at another airport, it seemed to be in the past, and I was making preparations for me and my sort of Kelly McGillis girlfriend. At a little drugstore I was buying a lot of stuff, 
and they had a big section of transfer lettering, which I found fascinating. And tacits were also a big item on my shopping list. April 92 Dreams I've been having a lot of cool dreams these days, but I haven't written them down in the computer. I do have a number of hastily scribbled notes I've made after awakening many times, without which I wouldn't have much recollection at all of these dreams. So let me just write as many of them down as I can find and remember, starting with the dreams I just had a few hours ago, during a midday nap. April 15, 92 These dreams sort of related to the death of Sam Kinison, and there was an individual in the dream who died, but it wasn't really clearly Sam Kinison or not. Basically, there was a house which was partially destroyed, and the idea was that the part still standing was transformed to other uses. One part of the dream involved part of the house on a train type of thing, and moving through the countryside. People remarked at how they have always feared trains like that, which would smash into trees and down power lines and stuff, and there was an effort underway by the operators of the train to correct the situation. Then there was something where another portion of the house was used for something else. But related to this was a main part of the dream which was a weird volleyball game, in which the teams were related to this usage of a house. The relation was there, but no specific were given received detailed. It was in a big auditorium, and I was sitting in an upper deck right up to the edge, to the left, with my father going down the stands was nightmarish like a weird horizontal tunnel turned vertical and stuff. I crossed over to the other side of the place and saw some players preparing to play in some little pen, and somehow they were slaves or something, and they were planning to escape. Then there was a closed food stand, and I asked a woman official there if there were any places to get real food around there. She said that unfortunately this town was mostly closed down on Sundays. I asked the question because I wanted to ask her something, anything, just to talk to her. It wasn't a romantic thing, just sort of a curiosity thing. So I went outside and found a pretzel vendor around around the corner. He was cooking some pretzels which appeared to be made of raw meat. I went up to the stand, and the scale got messed up, and I was looking up at the guy in the stand, as if it were huge or I tiny. I told the guy I'd take a pretzel as long as it didn't have any animal fat in it. He seemed sort of amused and assured me they were okay, and I also got a drink. In reality, I asked a waiter about animal fat in an apple pie at Nanny's birthday dinner in PA, back at the game, I held a long thing wrapped in tin foil. It was the three pretzels and a drink all in one long tube shape. I tried to find my father, as the game was over, but going up to our seats, he wasn't there. So I asked a couple of people who I might have known from school, and they didn't know. Then I looked over to where the pen was and saw him for a second, then lost him again, then saw him, etc. The theory of the house and the dead person and using one part to make a team, and another for something else, was very pervasive in the dream. It seemed representative of the general idea of salvaging what's left after a disaster to make something perhaps even better. Your next part of this dream involved mom's Mercedes out in the driveway, and we wanted to fix it or alter it or something. So I used a little handheld device to scale the car to 200% so that we could easier manipulate tiny things in the engine. It was sort of like scaling in Adobe Illustrator, but this was in reality. We did the thing with the engine and rescaled the car, and there was more stuff like scaling chairs in the basement and watching TV and stuff in the basement. But it's all sort of blurry now. But the scaling thing was both fun and scary. From Balbi's, Dream April 7th 92, 4-8, long hair again, mast, train. I recall little from this dream. I remember looking into a mirror and seeing my hair shoulder length and remarking that I officially had long hair again. As for mast and train, I have no clear recollection at this time. Dream March 29th 92, Dew and Harmon, I remember some of this one. I was sitting in some outdoor place at night and a lot of people were walking around. Maybe it was a school sport event or something just ending. Two of my high school science teachers, Mr. Dew and Mr. Harmon, walked by me, and I was myself of today, but I called to them and talked to them because I had some science question I wanted them to settle. I went somewhere with them we exchanged some things and that's all I recall. 3-30, 
Camera. Hmm. Just one word. Camera. Do I remember this at all? Yes, a little. I think I was in a movie theater, and taking pictures off screen. Also, we were exposing film directly to the outside or something. And it was that I had this new camera. My brother got a camera a few weeks earlier for his birthday. Okay, now on to the notes. April 14th, 92, Martinsville HS elections bike from many suits my weapon system. Well, this was just yesterday, but some of it is puzzling. I do recall being in Martinsville, and the streets were packed with people waiting for the high school election results. I was rifing my bick back home. Just passing the Exxon at the part one remember the dream began. The other part may have been as I was getting closer to Spring Run Lane there was some vision of various superhero costumes with various powers, or something. It's a few days later now. April 17th, 92, 12.58am. Yesterday, April 16th, 92, Thursday. I went for very long and odd walk. Before the walk, I had a weird dream of a weird variety. Then after the walk I had another dream of the same variety, based on the walk. And before the weird dream, there, was a more normal dream. So let me go through yesterday chronologically. First there was a dream of the normal variety. That is, it happened like a normal dream. But after looking over the notes I made when I woke up, I see there is a strange aspect to this one also. A side note here if I hadn't written down an outline, I would have utterly forgotten this dream, even though it was so recent, which speaks to the weird relation of dreams and memory. In this dream, I had to go back to high school, yet again. The teacher was Laurie Lobes, a real teacher I had in college. At one point in the dream, I guess class was over and I commented to her how I always have dreams about going back to high school, but now it's finally happening. I commented to her that it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Note in many back to high school dreams, I comment to others about previous dreams I have had, just as if it were in reality. That is, I am responding to irrational situations in essentially my own personality. So anyway, the class was in Nanny and Nono's backyard, and was spread far across the yard. I walked around and finally sat with a few people who I guess I sort of knew. With the people I was with, I made a comment sort of like wishing I had a calculator so I could point it across the yard, and it related to a video game or something. I wrote down the name Sam relating to this event, but I do not recall the significance. After the class Lobes commented that she was happy I found some friends in the Howard Stern fan clique, that I was able to assimilate so easily. Then it was later on and I was in NYC, with an oriental friend who was a mixture of Eric Soyu and Yasutoshi Yamada. It was night, and I had been with him, and he was going home, and I walked on, and then I took off in flight, flying in the unsure way I have in recent dreams. Basically, I was flying, but it was difficult and unbalanced. I flew over the city, and then something very strange happened, the bizarre aspect I mentioned earlier. I was flying, and then somehow I became vaguely aware that I was dreaming, and somehow the irrationality of flying led me to enter the real dream. What happened was that I sort of woke up from flying and I was in the front yard, lying face down in wet grass, my face totally in the grass. It was nighttime, and I guess it had recently rained. There was information that this was the real dream, or the dream behind the dream, or what was really going on in the dream. I got up, and there was a large painted sheet metal sign sort of thing of a Monopoly thing like a yellow and orange type picture of that Monopoly guy in a taxi or something, but in outline. I got up, and I felt very weird, but insulated from the potential terror of the situation. I walked around the house one th walk, and in the back, somewhere in the vicinity of the patio, there was something very vague lights, maybe a portal, or an answer or something, but that's all I remember. Also, I wrote down the word curve perhaps referring to the thing on the patio. Now that was a very strange event, to be plucked from the main dream into a different level, a real dream. There seemed to be some intelligence narrating or at least giving impressions of what was transpiring. Also, when I took off in flight, I recall being disturbed or depressed, and taking off was sort of in response to that. Well, I woke up and wrote that dream down, and then I went back to bed I remember it was 5 or 6 a.m. Then, until well after 10, I had a bizarre dream experience. I should preface this by saying that the nature of this experience, in its repetition, was similar to the sort of dreams I've had under fever, but it was certainly of a different variety. Basically what happened
happened was that I had a dream, and then for a seemingly very long time, I continued to dream about the first dream, going over it again and again and again. Several times I thought I was writing it down, only to realize I was still dreaming. The dream itself was thus it started by a lake, and I was with some friends, and it was also like a track and field track, and we found a tunnel underneath which went all the way around. So we thought it would be a good idea if a few of us were to go all the way around this lake track in the tunnel. At first, I was one of those who stayed behind, and I think I was timing the effort. Then it was in the basement, and there were two tunnel entrances which we had discovered, one near the ash hole in the back room. It seemed that they were at opposite ends of the long route around the lake track. At one point, we were scared that the tunnels might flood, and we were concerned at our lack of caution in this matter, being that the tunnels were unexplored. This seemed related to the Chicago flood of this week. I think it was raining and stuff so we were concerned. Then I think I decided to go in after those who first went in, and then the scenario abruptly changed. Instead of going around a little track, which was a few miles, which we earlier calculated the approximate time of going all the way through for, and also, the original tunnels were cramped and people had to crawl, the tunnels were a wholly underground route which went up and down the east coast of the USA. I saw a map which showed the east coast, and saw the route of the tunnels. Then began my journey through the tunnels, which turned out to be a route linking underground malls, basements, steam tunnels, etc. I don't remember much of the journey, but here's what I do remember. I recall being in a mall or gallery type tunnel with a number of compatriots, and maybe things in boxes and delays and stuff. Then there was another part where I was sneaking through some weird factory basement or something, and I was trying to avoid Nazi-like guards. I went down into a security station area to avoid people coming from where I was headed, and I was looking up at them through the grating, and thinking I'd be caught any moment. Then I went up to a cabinet and got a gun or something, and maybe moved on. Well, I know there was more, but finally I saw the map again and got info that a few girls finally made it to Florida, where they found a bitmap of about 10x10 pixels, which I saw on the map and which they were able to edit. So that was the final prize of the long journey a bitmap. Well, that part of the dream did seem to last a long time, but then I continued to replay the dream over and over again in my mind, going through the various events, and being that there was four or five hours in real time, I imagine the dream might have lasted that long. And I was also drifting in and out of partial consciousness. It's hard to describe how weird a feeling it was. Now, I in Italy find some meaning this dream to be of a long secret journey, which in my true self theorem would make self. Also, I should point out that just recently, in the past few days, I have arrived at a point of feeling ready to reawaken my true self, which would amount to the end of a journey. But I also think that my new state of mind, or perhaps a transitional state of mind, might be causing these strange sort of dreams. Well, I woke up, and I had an urge to take a walk. The urge hadn't been there the day before it just came to me. My plan was to walk down to the pool, then go back and walk along the stream to Newman's Lane, then walk up it, maybe go to Bagelsmith, and then go home. But after I made my plans I saw it was raining, but not wanting to be thwarted, I looked for my umbrella, which was nowhere to be found. I looked around for it for about half an hour, and even got the middle finger from my sister WHWE and I asked her about it. Well, at about 1pm it had stopped raining so I decided to go without an umbrella. As it turned out, it was for the best that way. I had my steel-toed boots on, my grey coat, and my grey gloves. I walked down to the pool, and then along the stream. When I got to Newman's, however, I felt like continuing on to Chimney Rock Road on the stream. So I went across, and got on the road next to what became the reservoir. At the dam there was a fence, but there was a big gap underneath, so I lied on my back and slid under it. My plan had been to then go on to Chimney Rock, and then to Miller Road, up Vossela, and then back through Martinsville. But I had wanted to go up on the rim of the quarry for a long time, so I walked down the road a little and then climbed up to the edge of the quarry. It was pretty cool up there, and the quarry was going at full steam, but there was not a soul up where I was. I walked along, saw some abandoned houses. I was followed by seven hawks, who circled me ominously for a good while. I was a little scared of them attacking, but I felt with a string stick I could have fended them off. They didn't do anything but follow me, though. Then I saw a fox on the road pretty far ahead of me. He seemed a little startled, then ran away. After a while I got to the cross, 
the eye went down, got to the road, ran as a huge truck was approaching, and got out onto the normal road, and got onto 22, with the intent of going to the mall. Then followed a long walk in the rain to the library. It had begun raining up on the quarry. On the back road to the library my legs were hurting, but I pressed onwards. I got to the library about 3.45pm, and tried to call mum or dad for a ride home, but no one was there. I read a Mac user magazine for a few minutes to rest up, then the phone was being used by an automatic door repair man, so I was over the minimal on the way to the mall, and called dad to pick me at 6 o'clock at the mall. It was about 4.30 then, so I went to the mall, had some fruit fries, walked around, waited outside in the chilly windy rain, and finally went home with dad, and then I went to sleep. I had a dream which I'll relate shortly, but I have to comment on how bizarre this trip was. I mean, I hadn't intended to go that far at all. It was almost as if it was meant to be. It certainly made me feel alive, walking along in the rain. It was pleasant and exhilarating most of the time. Even the pain in my legs wasn't that bad. I'm very happy I took the walk. But indeed it does seem related to the true self theory, and my waking up. One thing I should note about the reawakening is that just the other day I began to feel the space around me, which seems to be parts of my true self reaching into this world to rest in the here and now. Weird. So anyway the dream I had after the walk was of the area of the dam and the road around there, and it was very codified. Like, there were different people at different stationary locations around Chai Dam area, and each of them had a certain texture or color or something associated with them, and the dream was just a long series of going to the different people in sequence, and making different combinations and stuff. It was this complex setup being demonstrated in numerous ways, and like the tunnel dream, it just went on and on, eventually becoming unpleasant. Again, these dreams were similar to fever dreams I've had, but of a different variety. So I still have a lot of previous dream to record. But for now I'll leave it at this. At this rate, having to record the dreams of each new day, I'll never get it all done. Man, even my hand and arms are sore from that super walk. Night. April 17th. 92 dreams from last night. One thing was a stadium in Chicago in the middle of the city, with huge buildings all around it. I guess there was something with it earlier in the dream, and then I saw an image of it, like maybe a little relief image on a souvenir or something, but I reacted to it as if it was an image I had known for years. There was a huge curved building, similar to the Grace Building in NYC to the front, and to the right was a gigantic sign on a building across the way, I guess a sign for that building, but the sign was three-dimensional, and architectural. Then it was in the basement, and I had these little clear plastic cubes which could be pulled apart like photo cubes, and I was putting inside them the various aspects of Obliviana, which would eventually fit together like a puzzle to form one big image. This is a very apt image, since putting together the puzzle of Obliviana is what I've been doing in reality for years now. Then there was a foil type of thing I unfolded and was gonna put in a cube, but then I was on a street corner doing it. Across the street was a guy with a few stuffed animals talking to a woman and her young daughter. He said there was a Broadway show where she could see more of these stuffed animals, and he told the mother she just had to call a 900 number for more info. He said the call would only cost 50 cents. The mother came over to my table and as she did she said to the guy that if it was only 50 cents she'd call the number, but the guy said to her there were some additional charges involved and the call would cost $18 and change. I whispered to the woman that it was a ripoff. The guy came over and I asked him to produce any piece of literature showing that there was a show like he described. Then a phone rang between two buildings not a payphone but a normal black wall-mounted phone. I wasn't gonna answer it, but the ripoff guy said to me, well, aren't you gonna answer it? But I didn't, then he answered it, and he then handed me the phone, and it was my brother, John. Apparently, I owned a comic book store, and it had been robbed recently, with all the money taken from the register, but nothing else missing. So my brother told me he had some suspects for the crime, because he worked with some seedy characters somewhere. I talked to him for a little while going up and down some stairs. That's about all I can remember. Oh yeah, I asked him why he didn't just call his store, which was down the street, but he lost the number or something. Oh wow. Was that not breathtaking? Mind-bending. Uh, it's, I, it's, I hope nobody had like a heart attack or something. That, that really had 
that's a powerful segment there, Mr. Nora and your dreams. Uh, Wow. Uh, I I think this uh, certainly (laughs) will bear repeat listening in some form or another. Uh, I I, I just have to stop a second here. There is nothing like the Overnightscape Underground, the Overnightscape Central, the whole system, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, so to speak. And yeah, I all thoughts of uh, reading anything else myself went out the window about oh twelve minutes into that. And I couldn't even bring myself to interrupt it. It was just, yeah, that that was remarkable. That was historic and uh, significant in and of itself. And I, I am glad that I got the opportunity to present that. So uh, this time around, we thank uh, Cesara and Frank Edward Nora for uh, their contributions to this Overnightscape Central, and um, momentarily, uh, yes, it is time. I, where are we going? We're not going anywhere, PQ. It is time to give you the topic of next week's show and tell you how you can participate, because as uh, I say every time here, anybody is invited to participate here. Uh, I have yet to turn down or uh, edit anybody's uh, thing that they sent in. And uh, it's fun. You become part of the giant permanent onsug. And that alone and in itself, uh, can you imagine? You're part of 650 million hours of special curated, I'm just exaggerating. We, while we have done some vast amount to, to listen to it all, would take you, I think, just with any reasonable amount of listening time devoted, without making yourself crazy, uh, it would take years. It just would a couple of years. This could be a whole chunk of somebody's life, uh, a future uh, study of our troubled times with first-person accounts and uh, fringe pop culture thrown in to make it all taste good. I mean, I exaggerate. But the topic next week on the Overnightscape Central is... Let's just kick back and talk about some 70s movies. And yeah, you can bleed it a little. 1969, 1980. It's a bit 70s movies for fun. And, and uh, elaborate. And, and yeah, that, that's what we need. We need some 70s movies, uh, especially ones that we completely forgot about right here on the Overnightscape Central next week. And uh, here's the particulars. Uh, I think this is the last February, yeah, the last day of February. February 28th, 2022. Uh, Do you get me uh, 
Actually, no, it'll be March 1st. I'm still thinking Monday. Oh, silly PQ. And there you are, poised to write this all down, because I know, I know you have incredible 70s movies uh, that you remember or that you've discovered. Yep, this this is the time and the place. So uh, you're writing this down. March 1st. Yeah, we're moving into March. Marching forward uh, is the deadline and when we will produce the show. Get it to me in the afternoon of March 1st, 2022. And if you send it in after that, we will include it on a Quake Reversal Satellite episode. And I'm always up for talking about that kind of stuff over there anyhow. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, it's, it's River's choice, so to speak. Uh, we're just going to have some fun here and uh, I'm going to probably, I would imagine, get some great viewing suggestions. So it's me being selfish once more here on the Overnightscape Central. And, uh, yeah, the email address for your contribution, as always, is kpqr.torc at gmail.com. I'll repeat that, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And uh, that'll do it. That should uh, slam the lid on things until the next time. And uh, make sure your fingers are out of the way when we do that. And set the controls for the heart of the fun.